title of this morning's lesson, as you see in the bulletin, is a matter of mastery, and is taken from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. So if you want to turn there, we'll be there for a moment. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In preparing the sermon, this morning, um, often, as many of the brothers will testify to, we come up with sometimes the idea for a sermon in something that's happened in our own lives, something we've read, something we've seen. Um, two things that uh, influenced today's sermon um, just randomly took place. Um, I was driving up the highway probably four or five weeks ago. And I noticed them clearing this property off to the right-hand side as you're driving towards Annapolis and Route 50. And there, and behold, I saw a sign that said that they were clearing the land for a new storage unit area. More storage. Americans have so much stuff already. My wife and I, we do not like stuff. When you get to a certain age, you stop going to the craft fairs the flea markets, and you start saying, we have to get rid of some of these things, some of this stuff. The other thing was, recently in the congregation, I've been involved with a few um, benevolent uh, issues that we had, and that influenced my lesson this morning as well. And as we go along, you will see that uh, some of those things are included in the sermon. To anyone who lived in the ancient world, this passage would be an even more powerful saying than it is to us. The New King James Version translates it, no one can serve two masters, but that is not nearly strong enough. The word which the New King James translates as serve is Deluin. Dulos is a slave, and Deluin means to be a slave to. The word that the New King James Version translates as master is curios, and curios is the word which means absolute ownership. We understand the meaning much better when we translate it, no one can be a slave to two owners. To fully appreciate all that this means and implies, we must remember two things about the slave in the ancient world. First, the slave in the eyes of the law was not a person, but a thing. They had absolutely no rights of their own. Their master could do with them whatever he liked. In the eyes of the law, the slave was a living tool. Their master could sell them, beat them, throw them out, and even kill them. 
The master possessed them as completely as he possessed his own material possessions. Second, in the ancient world, a slave had literally no time which was their own. Every minute of their life belonged to their master. Under modern conditions, a person has certain hours of work. Outside these hours of work, their time is their own. It is often possible for a person nowadays to find their real interest in life outside of their hours of work. A person today might be a secretary in an office during the day and play a violin in an orchestra in the evening. And it may be that in their music that they find their real life. A person may work in a shipyard or a factory during the day. And at night, they run a youth program. And so it is in their youth program that they find their real delight and their true expression of their personality. But it was far different with the slave. The slave had literally no moment of time which belonged to themselves. Here then is our relationship to God. In regard to God, we have no rights of our own. God must be the undisputed master of our lives. We can never ask, what do I wish to do? We have no time which is our own. We cannot sometimes say, I will do what God wishes me to do, and another time say, I will do what I like. The Christian has no time off from being a Christian. There is no time when we can relax our Christian standards as if we were somehow off duty. A partial or occasional service of God is not enough. Being a Christian, as most of you know, is a full-time job. Nowhere in the Bible is the exclusive service which God demands more clearly set forth than in our verse this morning, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus goes on to say, you cannot serve God in mammon. Mammon was a Hebrew word for material possessions. Originally, it was not a bad word at all. The rabbis, for instance, had a saying, let the mammon of thy neighbor be as dear to you as thine own. That is to say, a person should regard their neighbor's material possessions as being as cherished as their own. But the word mammon has a most curious and revealing history. It comes from a root which means to entrust. And so mammon was that which a person entrusted to a banker or a safe deposit of some kind Mammon was the wealth which a person entrusted to someone to keep safe for them. But as the years went on, mammon came to mean not that which is entrusted, but that which a person puts their trust in. The end result was that mammon came to be regarded as nothing less than a god. The history of that word shows clearly how material possessions can take 
over a place in life which they were never meant to have. Originally, a person's material possessions were the things which they entrusted to someone else for safekeeping. But in the end, they came to be the things in which a person put their trust. Surely there is no better description of a person's God than to say that their God is the power in whom they trust. When a person puts their trust in material things, then material things have become not their support, but their God. So a clearer translation of our passage this morning would be, no one can be a slave to two owners, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot be a slave to God and material possessions. In studying this passage, we cannot help but turn our own thoughts to the place that material possessions should have in our own lives. At the core of Jesus' teaching about possessions, there are three principles. Three. Principle number one, all things belong to God. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. In Psalm 24 and verse 1, the scripture reads, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in. Psalm 50 and verses 10 through 12, God's word reads, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. There is nothing in this world of which any person can say, this is mine and I will therefore do what I like with it. Of everything, they must say, this is God's and I must use it as its owner would have me to use it, would have me to take care of it. Principle number two, people are always more important than things and wealth. Possessions, if they have to be acquired, if money has to be amassed, and if wealth has to be accumulated at the expense of treating people as things, then all such riches are wrong. Whenever and wherever this principle is forgotten, when it is neglected and defied, then far-reaching disasters are sure to follow. Reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verses 6 to 10, the Apostle Paul writes the following. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation 
and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And principle number three, wealth is always a lesser or subordinate good. The Bible does not say in 1 Timothy 6.10 that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evils. It is quite possible to find in material things what someone has called a rival salvation. A person may think because they are wealthy that they can buy anything, that they can buy themselves out of any situation. Wealth can become their measuring rod. Wealth can become their one desire. Wealth can become the one weapon with which they face life. If a person desires material things for a noble independence to help their family and to do something good for their fellow man, that's great. That's wonderful. However, if they desire simply to add pleasure upon pleasure, and if wealth has become the thing that they live for and live by, then wealth has ceased to be a lesser good and has taken the place in their lives which only God should occupy. The possession of wealth, money, and material things is not a sin. It's not a sin. It is a grave responsibility. If persons have many material things, it is not a time to congratulate them. It is a time to go to prayer for them, that they would use these material things in a way that would please our God. There are two great questions about wealth and possessions that we have to ask ourselves. On the answer to these two questions, everything depends. Question number one, how did we gain our wealth and possessions? How did we gain it? A person may gain their wealth and possessions at the expense of honesty and honor. A person may gain their wealth and possessions by deliberately destroying a weaker rival. A person may gain their wealth and possessions by neglecting their benevolent duties. Question number two, how does a person use their wealth and possessions? How do they? They may not use them at all and waste them. They may use them selfishly. They may use them to corrupt others. Or a person may use their wealth and possessions for their own independence and for the happiness of others. A person does not need great wealth to bring happiness to others. A person can be just as generous with $50 as with $1,000. A person can't go wrong by using their wealth and possessions to see how much happiness that they can bring to others. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 that it was Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. It is a characteristic of God to give. So if giving ranks above receiving in our lives, then we'll, we will use what we possess in a way that will please God, no matter how much or how little it may be. That is our lesson for this morning. Now we will present an invitation. If you are here this morning and you have never been immersed for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, then God is not your master. But you can change that this morning. If you're willing to repent of your sins and confess him as your Lord and Savior, confess Jesus and be immersed, then we are ready to assist you in that this morning. You may be a brother or sister, and you're here this morning, and someone or some things have pulled you away from God, and he no longer is the master of your life, and you need to fix that relationship. And we're here to pray for you and support you through that. Whatever your need is this morning, won't you let us know what that is, as together we stand and sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs>